Philippians chapter 3, let's stand as our children are being dismissed to a children's ministry. Philippians chapter number 3, we're continuing in this matter. Our theme for the year is experiencing God in my heart and in my home. What I want us to look at on the Sunday mornings is how we can experience the so much more that God has in store, but not later, but now. How we can experience it now. And this would be our sixth message in this. And several weeks ago, I was thinking of putting this one at the beginning. And, and, but I, I moved it down towards this, the sixth slot. And, and then as I've been reading along with uh, the Experiencing God book in our Bible Fellowship, uh, I, I didn't design it this way. I wish I was smart enough and organized enough to do it. But I see we're, we're, we're moving right along at about the same mirroring the same things. And so I, I, what I do is I plan the messages, get the mind of the Lord, plan the messages, work the messages. And then I'm reading the book and I'm saying, hey, we're, we're tracking the Lord's doing it. I know some people think pastor's really good at putting this together. Or some people think pastor, he's just so uh, such a control freak. He's making these mirror. I'm just telling you, I'm not smart enough to do that. I, I, I know it may, you may think otherwise, but I'm not. I just, I'm just, I just watch God's handiwork in this, and I'm excited to see what God's doing in our Bible study, what God's doing in my heart through the reading of the book, but what God's doing in the reading of His book. Philippians chapter 3. Notice, if you would, in verse number 12. Paul writes, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is picturing here an idea of a race. He's done this in other places. Verse number 12, he's saying this is the starting place. I'm not absolutely a finished product yet, is what he's telling us, verse 12. Verse 13 is the course. I count not myself to apprehend it. I've not finished it. But this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. And verse 14 is the end of the race. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul uses the analogy of a runner to describe our spiritual journey and growth. And the believer has not reached his goal ever in this lifetime of Christ-likeness. But like a runner, we must continue to pursue. And Paul is helping us in understanding if we're going to pursue, we're going to have to understand how to deal with failure and how to experience a fresh start. I'm going to preach this morning on this thought. Failure is never final if you do not quit. Failure is never final if you do not quit. Here's a subtitle. It's never too late to start over. Thank you. Please be seated. I personally believe that our culture has made a mark on too many of God's people. 
But I'm challenging us and trying to lead our church into experiencing God so that Jesus can make a mark on you and you in turn can allow the mark of Jesus to be made on the culture in which you live. Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Someone says that sounds like a lot of things. Well, Paul had a lot of things going on. Jesus had a lot of things going on. You have a lot of things going on. But he's saying we ought to boil it down to one thing. Is your life Jesus? And Paul is simply saying, I can boil everything I do down to this one thing, Jesus. But Paul gives us some tangible ways in which that can happen. And I think Paul is saying, I want to experience God right now. It's the same chapter, Philippians 3 and verse 10, where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul is saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to fulfill the mighty potential that dwells within me when God saved me. I hope this morning that you have a desire, you have a hope, you have a dream, you have a driving ambition to be everything that God wants you to be and that you want everything that God has for you. That ought to be the ambition of every child. It ought to be the ambition of every church. We should never be satisfied, never be satisfied with mediocrity. We should never be satisfied with where we are. Paul was never satisfied with where he was. We should always be aspiring to become more and to experience God and the so much more that God has in store. I think the problem for the average Christian, the average church today, is that we are not pressing toward the mark. We're not going anywhere spiritually. We're content with where we've been. We're comfortable. We are self-satisfied. And the truth is, God can never use a self-satisfied person or a self-satisfied church. But for those who want to see God do more, if you still desire God to do more, you must learn the key to starting over again. Why is it so important that we learn how to start over again? I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but life is not only a matter of successes, but life is really made up of a series of failures. As a matter of fact, if you look at your Bible, you find the Bible characters, you'll find that within their life, every Bible character, there's failures. And failure never has to be final unless you quit. This morning, if you've come to church feeling that somehow you failed in some area of your life or you're not quite living up to your potential or you're feeling in your heart that you're not all that God wants you to be, then I just want to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the human race. Amen. Amen. You see, life is a matter of failure as well as a matter of successes. We all have losses. We all have defeats. But the secret in experiencing the so much more that God has in store is learning how to deal with failure and defeat and to start again. Again and again in the Bible, it tells us in different ways that we have to press toward the mark. Paul didn't say, I coast toward the mark. He didn't say, I drift 
towards, no one ever drifts to God. You'll never find it in the Bible. Hebrews does talk about drifting away from God. You must press. Paul says, I've not apprehended. I've not arrived. I'm not everything that I could be, I ought to be. But he said, I'm pressing toward the mark. God's not interested in your past. He's interested in your present and in your future. God's not interested in your yesterday. He's interested in your today and tomorrow. And the key to victory in the Christian life is learning how to rebound, learning how to come back in basketball. Anyone ever played basketball? And uh, um, anybody know what basketball is? And, um, and uh, the, um, you, you have a, a drill that every team works on, and that is rebounds. You know why they work on rebounds? Because not every shot goes in. If every shot went in, there was never a failure in shooting, you would never have to rebound. But isn't rebounding very key and critical? Mrs. Mooney would say yes. She was a basketball player. You cannot win games if you don't know how to rebound. What does rebound mean? It means someone failed. But when they failed, they didn't stop and pack up their bags and go home. No, they rebound. Get in there, rebound. Make, make the, the way to getting the ball back. Learn how to come back. Lean uh, on, on the, the, uh, the plan that God has placed in, in, in our lives. That is, you can start again. Learn how to overcome failure. Learn how to overcome defeats in your life. Whether they be moral defeats, spiritual defeats, mental defeats, emotional defeats. Learn how to overcome rebound and start again. Now some of you think you don't need this message because you've not experienced lately any great failure. So let me say to you. Take notes, tuck it away, because I promise you the time will come. You will need to learn how to start over. And I want you to remember that if you've been defeated, if you feel that life has dealt you a blow, if you feel that life is unfair and that you're never uh, going to quite make it back, you're never going to, to be able to get back up, you're not going to be able to press on, and I want you to see this morning that God is looking for you. I want you to see three things. Number one, the certainty of failure. The certainty of failure. In other words, let me say it this way. Welcome to church. You're going to fail. Now that's not so positive, is it? But there's no way you're going to end up being positive if you don't recognize how to overcome setbacks and failures. You've heard the saying, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Alexander Pope wrote that expression 250 years ago. It's still true today. To err is human. You're going to make mistakes. You're human. Recognizing that mistakes are inevitable, it gives you the ability to position yourself for the rebound. Dave Ramsey said, failure is normal. It will happen. Don't allow failure to steal your hope. Get back up. Don't quit. One day you'll look back and be so glad you stayed in the game. Luke 17 and verse 1, Jesus said this. He, said to his, he was talking to the Pharisees and then he turned to his disciples and he said, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. See, Jesus was saying, it is impossible that you can avoid the obstacles that would cause you to stumble. Unfortunately, 
is part of life. But in God's equation, we can say, fortunately, God allows us to go through tests to only demonstrate that he is faithful. But one thing that he does say, Jesus does say is, while it is impossible, but that offenses will come, notice what he says and keep this in mind, but woe unto him through whom they will come. And in the next verse, verse 2, he says, regarding these little ones. Jesus was referring to the young believers as well as to the children. See, you don't ever quit and give up without becoming a stumbling block to the little ones. And Jesus had some strong words. You read Luke 17. See, success or, de- or failures determine by what decisions you make today. Success is not a destination. Success is not where you arrive one day. Success, in God's eyes, is the journey of walking with Jesus. Failure is not a destination. Failure is the journey you're on when you walk away from Jesus. See, there are storms that are going to come. Storms can cause altitude problems for planes, but storms can cause attitude problems for God's people. Don't you see, not only is failure certain, it will come. But number two, what are the causes for failure? What is it that causes failure and defeat in my life? Well, first of all, pride and confidence in the flesh. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Remember, Jesus warned Peter. Peter said, Lord, if everybody else falls away, everybody else denies you, you can count on me. I'm not going to deny you. What did Jesus do? He looked right at Peter and said, you're going to deny me. Now, why was Jesus able to forecast Peter's failure? He said, because he's God. I want to tell you, he is God and he does know everything. But you and I, if we have meteorologists that can forecast the weather based upon certain signs, if you know your Bible, you should be able to forecast failure based upon certain signs. And Jesus is telling Peter something that is very telling and troubling. Peter, you're full of Peter. You will fail. You're going to walk away and deny me. One of the great strengths of an evangelist who is a real revivalist is also one of the great detriments. And that is being honest and straightforward with the people of God. See, you're not going to have revival until you're willing to listen to truth. And Peter still did not listen to what Jesus was saying. Jesus invited Peter, join me in prayer. And Peter couldn't stay awake. He's trying to get Peter to stop depending upon Peter. See, Peter didn't think it would ever be possible to deny the Lord. What happened later? Because Peter's flesh was so weak, because Peter had lived so long in flesh dependence, when he got to the point and said, I go a fishing, he didn't really care. And he didn't care that he took other people with him. 
Listen, every man in here, do you know what this one thing I do means for every man? If you have a household, if you have a wife, if you have children, every man this one thing I do should mean this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Had Peter said that, Peter would not have experienced the devastating consequences of failure. Listen, as a pastor, I am not here to entertain. I'm not good at it. I don't do any magic. I don't know how. I don't know how to do any music. I am not, I'm not, I just can't entertain. I can't do much to keep people happy. But this I can do. I can tell you what this one thing is that you ought to do. His name is Jesus I can tell you how you can get to him. I can tell you how to stay with him. And I can tell you when you're not with him and how you can get back to him. And the decision you make will determine your future. You tell me what you're doing right now with truth and I'll tell you where you'll be five years from now. I may not hit it exactly right. I may not get your address right. I may not get your hair length right. I may not get the drugs right. I may not get the scars right. But I'm telling you, you're not going to smell like Jesus when you're drifting away from him. Peter drifted so that he made a calculated, deliberate decision to depart. Why? Because he put confidence in the flesh. Do you know why there are preachers today that were called to preach who are not biblically, scripturally, to stand in the pulpit and preach today is because they put confidence in the flesh. Listen, we we sometimes get duped by preachers. You say, preacher, you shouldn't say that. You're a preacher. No, that's true. Because preachers many times will, will work to make sure you follow me. Paul says it this way. Follow me as I follow the Lord. If you, if you will look correctly, you ought to be able to see the Lord. If you're not seeing the Lord, then you stop following the preacher. You say, well, I can do anything I want to do. whatever you want to do then. But don't you think that you are exempt from failure if you're going to do what you want to do. The key is do what he wants you to do. And so you've got to see, is it flesh or is it faith in God? They're, they're, they're not compatible. They don't go together. Is it flesh or is it faith in God? What is it that causes failure? It's confidence in the flesh. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Remember 2 Corinthians 12? God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. Why did he do that? I'll tell you one of the reasons Paul tells us why is to keep him humble. Paul was a gifted man. Paul says so that I don't put confidence in Paul. We've seen the last several years great men fall. The media has a heyday when they see that. They love to write about preachers who have fallen. I just wonder if the media back in Moses' time wrote that Moses failed God, killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand. I wonder if the headlines ever read about the great man of God, David, King David, writer of most of the Psalms, commits adultery, then tries to cover up murder. But that's what happens to some of God's people. But here's the key about Moses and David. They learned how to turn failure into a brand new start. You see, the devil always has a heyday with the defeats in our life. 
Never in the Bible are we told that you cannot come back. Never are you told that you cannot have a fresh start. Do you know our greatest enemy is going to be ourself? Listening to what the devil says. How do you know you're putting confidence in yourself? When you're protecting yourself, you're insulating yourself, you are no longer your biggest problem. Remember Peter, he said uh, uh, to Jesus, hey, what about John? And Jesus, in essence, in the, the end of the gospel of John said, Peter, you're the biggest problem you have. You focus on Peter. But one of the ways you can tell when you're putting confidence is you see their problem, their problem, and their problem, and their problem. This too is what success can do to a person. In our reading, uh, I think it's in chapter number seven of Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby talks about if life is like climbing a, a rung, of, rung of ladder here and we get to the very top of the ladder, one of the great tragedies is to find out your ladder's been leaning up against the wrong wall. And many of people are depending upon themselves and success has gone to your head. I'm not doing bad. My family's doing, I've got more money than I've ever had. Everything's going well. You know, I may not be doing everything the preacher wants me to do. I may not be doing everything that our church is doing. I may not be, but look, we're doing good. I want to remind you that success, when it's not God's way, is often like the lesson of a well. You know, the well over time has got to come up for air. And when she comes, she blows. And when she blows is when she runs the risk of being harpooned. You let success go to your, your, your heart and mind and overtake you and distract you from what God wants you to do. You understand this. Pride goeth before destruction. Haughty spirit before the fall. A failure that leads to success is always better than a success that leads to failure spiritually. Why is it that we fail? Pride and overconfidence in the flesh. The number two reason we fail is because we're afraid to take risk. There are some people who say, I've not blown it, but you also have never gotten out of the boat. Yeah, I want them to maybe to at least, if my wife would put on my tombstone, put the words, at least he tried. At least he tried. At least Peter stepped out of the boat. At least he tried. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It takes no faith to do nothing. There are so many people today who never get the good fruit because they, they're afraid to go out on the limb. They're afraid to believe God. They're afraid to reach out to be the best that God would have them to be. They're afraid to launch out into the deep. Many people have failed simply because they're not willing to take risk. Listen, if you have not failed as others have failed, is it because you're not obeying as others have tried to obey? Remember the man who took his talent, hit it in the ground? He says, I'm not going to lose it. And Jesus came back to him and Jesus rebuked him and said, you wicked and unprofitable servant. Don't put your life in a ground and just say, I'm not going to blow it miserably because I'm going to bury myself right here. No, no, don't be afraid to take a risk with God. What kind of risk is it to go with God? What kind of risk is it to go with God? Why do we fail? Third reason. We give up too soon. 
Galatians 6 and verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Many of you enjoy watching football like I do. and I've never watched a football game where somebody didn't hit somebody. And, and, and we, we pull for that. Hit them harder, especially when it's our team. Hit them harder. When our team gets hit, get up. However, it seems that God's people in church is the only place I know of where if there are complications, people quit. I believe churches all across our land and Christians fail because they do not persevere. Don't get weary in well-doing. What is Paul saying? We preached that some time ago going through Galatians. Paul is saying, you're going to have problems. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have obstacles. But don't get weary in well-doing to the point of quitting. I get tired in the work of God. I never get tired of his work. If you ever get tired of serving Jesus, it's because you left him. Jesus was tired. His soul was weary. But he never quit on his father. There's a mark I've told before on the top, near the top of Mount Washington, marking the spot where a woman climber laid down and died. She was so close to the top that she could almost hit it with a stone. A hundred steps more, she would have reached the shelter that she sought, but she didn't know it. The blizzard, the storm was so thick, she had no idea how close she was, and she was disheartened by the storm. All she could see was the storm. Her body was beaten. Her spirit was distressed. She was at the end of her courage. She couldn't see a step ahead. So she laid down and died steps away from where she was trying to get. Born in poverty, he had to face defeat throughout his life. He lost 18 elections. Twice he failed in business. He suffered a nervous breakdown. He was bedridden for six months. He could have quit many times. He could have concluded, I'm the greatest failure. But he didn't quit and became one of the greatest presidents of the United States of America. You know him to be Abraham Lincoln. Here's a short, simple sketch of his rough road to the White House. His mother died. His family was forced out of their home. He had to work to support them. In 1832, he ran for state legislature. He lost. In 1832, he also lost his job, wanted to go to law school, but he couldn't get in. 1833, he borrowed some money from a friend to begin a business, and by the end of one year, he was bankrupt. He spent the next 17 years of his life paying off that debt. 1833, he failed in business. 1834, he ran for state legislature again. He won. 1835, he was engaged to be married, but his sweetheart died and his heart was broken. 1836, he had a total nerve, complete total nervous breakdown and was in bed for six months. 1838, he sought to become speaker of the state legislature. 
he was defeated. 1843, he ran for Congress. He lost. 1846, ran for Congress again. This time he won, went to Washington, did a good job. 1848, he ran for re-election to Congress. He lost. 1849, he sought the job of land officer in his home state. He was rejected. 1854, he ran for Senate of the United States. He lost. 1856, he sought the vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention. He got less than 100 votes. 1858, he ran for U.S. Senate again. Again, he lost. 1860, elected president of the United States. Do you know what Demas is known for in the Bible? A quitter. Abraham Lincoln was the biggest failure that many of us will ever know. He's not known for that. Why? He didn't quit. And if a man can have grit and gumption and determination in his body to keep going, what does that say for God's children who have the grace of God, unlimited supply, and Jesus Christ as our Lord, Savior, Deliverer who literally lives within? You know why? Do you know why we often fail? Is because we quit too soon. I preached a message some time ago and I said it's always too soon to quit. What is it that Jocko says, um, if you're going to quit, not today. Let's talk about it tomorrow. When you come around tomorrow, I'm thinking about quitting, preacher. What would he say? Not today. Let's talk about it tomorrow. Take it a day at a time. If Jesus didn't quit, why should you quit? Hebrews chapter 12 says, look unto Jesus. Hebrews 12 and verse 3. Consider him, that's Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. What does that mean? That means Jesus was done wrong. And what does it say? Consider Jesus, lest you get wearied and faint in your minds. Don't quit. What did Abraham Lincoln say about all this? Listen to what he said. The part, the path was worn and slippery. My foot slipped from under me, knocking the other out of the way. But I recovered and said to myself, it's a slip and not a fall. That was what Abraham Lincoln said after losing one of the many races. Let us not be weary in, in, in well-doing for in due season. We shall reap if we faint not. Thomas Edison, he tried 200 times to invent the light bulb. And guess what? He failed 200 times. But Thomas Edison didn't think he failed. He thought, however, he just discovered 200 ways not to invent the light bulb. Because to him, he said, there's no option but to keep going. You may have found two million ways it doesn't work, but just get up, dust yourself off and say, bless the Lord, praise the Lord. God is alive. That makes all the difference. If at first you don't succeed, then you're normal. Stop being shocked. The reason why people can't bounce back, you know why Peter went a fishing? Because he didn't know how to bounce back from failure. Why did he not know how to bounce back from failure? Paul knew how to bounce back from failure. Because Peter was putting confidence in his flesh. Experiencing God. Where are we in chapter 7? We're all about this matter. God loves me. Revel in the fact God loves me. God loves me in spite of the fact that I'm unlovely. 
God loves me when I'm a mess. God loves me when I'm a failure. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. The Bible tells me so. God loves me. And that's why Paul was able to keep bouncing back. Because God loved him. Peter struggled bouncing back because Peter thought, Jesus picked me because I'm Dr. Peter. And when he blew it, it wiped him out. What Paul is saying is, we're all losers. We're all losers. Every one of us is a loser apart from Jesus. If at first you don't succeed, get back to Jesus. Reader's Digest, I read that the value of a postage stamp was its ability to stick to one thing until it gets there. Man, you just have one thing to do. Stick to Jesus. Serve Jesus. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. When you fail God and sin comes, disappointment comes, that doesn't mean you quit. That means get to 1 John 1, 9. Wash your hands. Cleanse your heart. And get back to Jesus. Who knows this morning, but you're on the verge of something God breaking through. Just hang in there. Stick to Jesus. Let me give you the last thing. I want you to see this morning before we get done here, the cure. The cures for failure. So how do you get a fresh start? How do you begin again? How do you dust yourself off? I love what the perspective of the, the, that the late Senator Sam Irvin Jr. had. He remarked, defeat may serve as well as victory to shape the soul and let the glory out. See, that's the way we need to look at failure. Failure didn't define Abraham Lincoln. It made him. Remember, success that leads to failure is dangerous, but any failure that leads to success is the key. So how can we get cure over our failure? Because we're going to fail. Here it is, number one. You ready? The rest of you ready? All right. I'll chuck a hymnal at you if I have to. Get, get with it. All right, here we go. Number one, admit your failure. Admit it. When Jesus said, Peter, you're going to fail, he's pointing out, Peter, you're very self-confident. What did Peter say? Uh, not me. Can you imagine telling Jesus, you're wrong. I, I, I've often thought, why, does, why do people argue with me when I'm just telling them, I've checked your pulses, here's your vitals, you're on, this, you're on the verge of having a spiritual heart attack. Well, that's just you. You're just mean and pushy and bully and, and you're pushy and, and you're, I say, that's exactly right. I am pushy. I don't want to see you die of a spiritual heart attack. God's for you. Jesus is in you. He loves you. Why would you want to quit on him? So admit your failure. What does that mean? Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. I used to preach that that means confess it to God. But the truth is, you don't cover your sin before God. You Think of anybody in the Bible who tried covering their sin. Adam and Eve. Who are they covering their sin from? The animals? No, they're trying to cover it from God. God saw it. David tried to cover his sin. God saw it. He's not talking about God. He's talking about with those with whom it matters. Young person, you're covering your sin at home. 
you're not going to experience the blessing and the mercy of God. You're not going to prosper spiritually. That's why we're talking about experiencing God in my heart and in my home. Church, you try to cover and hide from others and put on a pretense, Ananias and Sapphira, God says, it's a big deal to me. You're not hiding it in front of God. You're hiding it in front of others and you're not going to prosper. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light, we'll have fellowship with him. What does that mean? That means transparency. We're not covering. We're not hiding. What does it mean to admit our failure? It means stop blaming. Stop passing the buck. You're never going to get anywhere by blaming. And how do we get here? Are we really good at passing the buck? It started with Adam and Eve. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. The serpent blamed, well, he didn't have a leg to stand on, so he didn't. I mean, we always try to blame somebody else. It's always our wife's fault, our spouse's fault. It's always the boss's fault. It's always the pastor's fault. It's always the co-worker's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And of course, the big thing today is that it goes back into your childhood. Oh, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your parents. Oh, Johnny's in trouble because when he pushed his oatmeal off the table, his parents, they told him, you can't do this, Johnny. You do this and you're going to have bloodshed in the woodshed. And someone, the psychiatrist said, that warped little Johnny. Now, I'll tell you what happened to Johnny is that he didn't get handled right. He didn't get dealt with. He, he was allowed to push and blame and he pitched a fit when he was young and he said, my mommy, my daddy is not, is not doing me right. They're not giving me what I want to eat. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to do this. And the child who has a temper tantrum and never learns to get it dealt with and never gets help and deliverance grows up to being adult that has a temper tantrum. And so what's the Bible answer? Accept your failure. Admit to it. Accept responsibility. Why is that so hard? The hardest words seem to say, be said are, I have sinned. I'm wrong. I can tell you, I can tell you every single time I go to someone and I say, listen, I'm concerned about you. This doesn't look right. And they say, I don't see it. I don't really care. I'm fine. That's exactly what Peter did. And Jesus said, you will deny me. But every person who says, preacher, I'm so, I'm so thankful. Thank you for pointing out the blind spot. Thank you. Thank you for helping. Thank you. Oh, they're going to make it. Why? Because God resists the proud, but he gives heapfuls of grace and reviving to the humble. There are some who have marriages that cannot be healed in your minds. Some of you think there are relationships that cannot be healed. But here's one of the reasons why you're not going to see deliverance. Is as long as you're determined never to respond with, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You're not going to find God showing up. Some people like Stalin. Remember Stalin? They think that they show strength by never admitting mistakes. They want to be seen as fully competent and always in control. And I have found, I've said to you, I've said to you just in the last weeks, when a man can't lead his home like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He'll take it out on the pastor. He'll take it out on his church. 
rather than taking it out on himself and saying, God, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Don't be like Stalin. Don't be like the communist regime that never and refuses to admit mistakes. Failure should be our teacher, never our undertaker. Let me give you another reason why or another cure for failure. Stop regretting. Start repenting. Stop regretting. Start repenting. Many a conversation in a counseling session is, Pastor, I am so sorry this happened. I regret these mistakes. I regret this, these decisions years ago. Good. Now stop regretting and start repenting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, Paul writes, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. See, a fresh start means to repent, to change your heart, to change your mind. Let God change you about the matter. And what God is saying in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, there are two kinds of sorrows. There's a sorrow that is a godly sorrow that brings about a fresh start. It brings about deliverance. But then there's a sorrow about failure that brings about death. It's a worldly kind of sorrow. The worldly sorrow is a remorse that says, I pity myself. I feel so sorry for me. And you want to have a pity party in your mess. It causes you to become introspective. It causes you to say there's no hope. It causes you to say, what's the use? I can't go on. Poor me. This is worldly sorrow. By the way, remember Peter and Judas? They're great examples of two kinds of sorrow. They both failed the Lord. Peter failed the Lord. Judas failed the Lord. Peter denied the Lord. Judas betrayed the Lord. But look at the difference in their outcome. Why? Because Peter had a godly sorrow that led to repentance. Judas had a remorseful, worldly sorrow that led to his hanging. You have a choice. Every one of us are failures outside of Jesus. But what face are you going to have the face of Peter or the face of Judas? What's your response going to be? They both regret. Peter regretted the, the, uh, uh, what he experienced. He wept bitterly. Judas regretted what he did. He took the money that he got from betraying Jesus. He, he returned it and he regretted it. But the difference was he never got to repentance. You can wallow in your pity. You can cry and slobber. You can moan and groan and blame and shift and deflect and all these things. But if it leads you to hanging yourself, unpulling the plug, if it leads you walking away from God, that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow always leads you back to Jesus. And Peter, though he was slow, he made the decision. What happened with Peter? Oh, you remember just a short time later, 3,000 people were saved through the life of Peter? Let me, let me tell you something. Um, I've had some hard cases in my short ministry span. I've had some people sit on my couch 
I've had some scenarios where couples trying to decide if they're going to stay together. A man is trying to decide if he's going to leave his wife or stay with his wife. A man is trying to decide whether he's going to cover his crime or turn himself in. Every one of them is thinking at that moment, what am I going to do in the moment? You want to know what I think? I'm going to tell you what I think every single time. I've sat with the man who says, I don't know if I want to stay with my wife. And I've said to them, sitting in that situation, what's your option? Well, there's a woman that I'm going to hook up with. And here's what I say. If you'll listen to me, you're going to be teaching a Sunday school class. You're going to be helping another man make the right decision and save himself from a life of heartache. You know what my, one of my problems is? I see what God wants to do in your life now and five years from now and ten years from now. And I can't let people go that easily because God loves you and God wants you to see that you can start again. And many in here can sit and testify that they sit in my office on my couch and they've heard me say in the midst of their gross sin, I'm telling them, God's going to call you to preach. You know why? Because I'm seeing beyond the mess of sin. I'm trying to get you to see. Satan wants you to stay bogged down with your sin that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again victorious over. And Satan wants you to see you'll never make it. You're a failure. Of course we're failures. That's why we need him. But Jesus is trying to get us to see. Moses came back to me. David came back to me. Peter came back to me. And so can you. But you're going to have to say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And I'm thankful we have some people in here this morning. I'm thankful I've gotten to be around long enough to see people who did stick with it, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy but to trust and obey. And to see them teaching a Sunday school class. To see them counseling and discipling others. What's your face going to be to your failure? Admit your failure. Stop regretting. Start repenting. Let me give you another one here. Forget the former and focus on the future. That's what he says in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forget the former. And focus on the future. Steve Farrar, he passed away just a year or so ago. He wrote the book, It Helped Me When I First Got Married, entitled Point Man. He said everyone fails, but the true failure is the one who doesn't learn from his setbacks. That's why a teachable spirit is so important. Forget the former, focus on the future. I want to ask you something this morning. What memory in your life is manipulating you this morning? 
What failure in your life is manipulating you? What's keeping you from experiencing joy? When a football player fumbles the ball, is he supposed to quit? When a baseball player strikes out, is he supposed to quit? When a politician loses an election, do they often quit? Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. Why should God's people quit on God? Let me give you the last one. Here's the last one. Cure for failure. You ready? If you failed, trust God to work it out. Trust God to work it out. Romans 8, 28. We know that one, don't we? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, God promises to work it out if you don't quit. If you quit, then you're on your own. You manage your whole life course. But God says, if you'll stick with me, you don't quit. Those that love God, those who are all in according to his plan, God says, you can know I'll work it together for good. You ever read Hebrews chapter 11? You read it someday. And here's what you'll find. The great chapter of faith. You know who they were? Murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, liars, cheaters, wishy-washy kind of people. But you know why they're in Hebrews chapter 11? Because they didn't quit. Zig Ziglar said, failure is an event, not a person. Yesterday, it ended last night. Today's a brand new day and it's yours. Let me give you one last quote. Adrian Rogers said, I love this. If you woke up this morning and you're still here, God still has a plan for your life. Let's stand together, please.